You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to First Bite, the Detroit Lions preview podcast for Pride of Detroit, your SB Nation blog for the Detroit Lions. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the managing editor over at Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. And we're ready for another week. It's been a long week, even though it's literally been a short week for Lions fans. Uh, We're moving on to, to Minnesota, though. We're not talking about the Packers game anymore. Uh, it might slip up here and there, but I'm I'm going to try to cut it off if it does. So guests be forewarned. If you talk about the Packers game, I'm going to cut you off. <laughs> but uh, th- this week is the Vikings game. We're going to talk all Vikings uh, with us today. We have Ryan Matthews back with us. Ryan, how are we doing today? I'm doing well. I'm not going to talk about the Packers game, even though have, I'm talking about it right now. <laughs> have you have you gotten out of your radio head, head phase? Because I know that's that's a dark road down there. Uh, no, I'm I'm suf- I'm sufficiently <laughs> down the rabbit hole at this okay. point. I, I think I think I think a general malaise has has been a way to uh, has been a way to describe this entire week since Monday. Fair enough. Fair enough. And to give us the Vikings perspective on things, uh, our good friend Arif Hassan is with us at Arif Hassan NFL on Twitter. He is the writer for The Athletic Minnesota when it comes to all things Vikings. Arif, how are we doing tonight? I'm good. I'm good. How are you two doing? Good. Better. Getting there. (laughs) (laughs) Working on it. Fair enough. It starts with the uh, mindset. Exactly, exactly. But let's let's just jump right into it. I want to talk about the Vikings. I want to talk about the offseason that they've had because, to me, it looked like it was kind of a fairly straightforward offseason. The plan on defense was keep as many pieces together as humanly possible with the salary cap, and then on offense, it's just fix the offensive line, and that's about it. Is is that a is that a right read on what the Vikings off season? Yeah, was that, that was like? the plan going in, and for the most part, they executed. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, let let's talk about some of those changes that they've made on the offensive line in particular, because they went and get Josh Klein in free agency. They they draft Garrett Bradbury with their first round pick. They get a new offensive line coach. They bring in Gary Kubiak. Uh, what what's different this year? What has succeeded? What hasn't succeeded with that offensive line? Well, I think first and foremost, grabbing the offensive line coach, Rick Dennison, who, you know, worked with Gary Kubiak, that might have been the most important thing. You know, I think recently when we've seen offensive lines turn around, the Colts, the Seahawks, uh, a couple years ago, the Patriots, a lot of it's been driven by the offensive line coach. So losing Tom Cable uh, Mm -hmm. from Mike Solari, uh, losing, I forget, whoever the Colts had. Um, uh, and then also bringing Dante Skarnecchia back for the Patriots. All of that led to pretty significant changes in the offensive line. And I think for the Vikings, 
the same thing was a possibility. And right now the offensive line is playing a lot better. It's not playing well, but it's playing a lot better, um, especially in the running game. And I think a lot of that has to do with Kubiak. A lot of that has to do with Dennison. And the fact that even if individual offensive linemen aren't run blocking well, the scheme kind of creates these opportunities. Uh, you know, they are pass blocking a lot better. Uh, they're creating better help situations for their pass protectors. And that's despite the fact that, you know, center Garrett Bradbury uh, up until the last two games has been fairly disappointing. Guard Pat Elfline, who was recently a center uh, last year, um, has not been all that great in pass protection. We've seen improvements in play uh, at the right guard position. That's where they brought in free agent Josh Klein. We've seen improvements in play the left tackle position and the right tackle position. So I think a lot of that has to do with the offensive line coaching, which tends to get, I think, under-discussed. But yeah, they, they made uh, you know some changes, some acquisitions. They moved a guy from center to left guard. They signed a, a guard in free agency, and then they got a little bit of development out of uh, their young right tackle. And so that's interesting, Arif. You know, we, we talk about the improvements made to the offensive line, whether or not it's been investing draft capital or it's been um, investing just actual capital through free agency. And it seemed like the beginning of the season where it was paying dividends was in the run game. And Dalvin Cook got off to a really hot start. Um, and I mean, he was averaging like 5.2 yards per carry, 7.7 yards per carry, 6.8 yards per carry. I mean, he was just, he was getting a lot of chunk plays. and. Um, but at the same time, we saw Kirk Cousins on the other side struggle. Like at, at this point, what do you think like the Vikings identity is on offense? Like, do they want to run the football? Do they want to try and keep Stefan Diggs in town and have him not <laughs> traded? Like what, what, what's, what's the plan? Like what is the way that the Vikings are, are best operating on offense? Well, I think the way they envision it is that it's very adaptable and flexible week by week, game plan by game plan, and responsive to game flow. I think that they want to say, hey, when we're up, we can run the ball into the clock. When we're down, we can make explosive plays through the air. Uh, if there are some weaknesses you know, in the secondary, we can target that. If they can't you know, defend the intermediate zones, we can attack that. Uh, that's, I think, the way that they've wanted to approach things. You know, I know they talk a lot about the run game. But I think they've wanted to approach this offseason based on the way they've kind of invested and, you know, worked on play calling and stuff like that to be that kind of multi-capable offense that can attack weaknesses and have all of those areas be kind of strengths. But, you know, as we've kind of moved forward, like you've said, you know, they've been um, a better run offense uh, than they have been a passing offense until very recently. Uh, the problem is that the passing offense is very responsive to the level of the defense that they've been playing. So when they play really bad defenses, they actually play better than elite offenses tend to against bad defenses, especially through the air. Uh, when they play really good defenses, they tend to play worse than some of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL do against bad defenses. So uh, it, it's it's really kind of sensitive to the level of the opponent. That's not where they want to be, obviously. Um, and then kind of throughout all of that, they have trusted that run game to produce. There's only really been one game where they've been kind of frustrated in the running game. That's the Chicago game. Uh, and so they've been kind of going to that. And so if you adjust for things like game situation and game script and stuff like that, you know, they're one of the more run heavy teams in the NFL, you know, they're not going to touch the Seahawks or anything like that, but, uh, they're, you know, fourth or fifth most run heavy behind like the Ravens and the Seahawks and so on. Um, so they are kind of a, a quote unquote run first team. I think they'd like to get out of that a little bit, despite what Mike Zimmer says publicly about, you know, running the ball a lot. And they would like to be just kind of responsive and flexible. And they're not quite there yet. Yeah. And, and do you think that's the case just because 
they invested all that money into Kirk Cousins. They have maybe arguably the best uh, passing weapons uh, in terms of receiving options in the NFC North, maybe in all of the NFC, maybe in all of football. Like I'm really high on Adam Thielen. Stephon Diggs is, is a great player. Kyle Rudolph, like, or, are they are they just kind of frustrated that 2017 Case Keenum isn't walking through that door? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I think you know they expected. Hey, you know we bring in a quarterback that is like objectively, qualitatively better than Case Keenum. The passing offense should improve, and you know that's like a fair, bare bones, simple assumption. But like Keenum was built off of all of these like random flukes that you know the ball bounced the right way and stuff. And they recognize that during the season, like Zimmer would like publicly say stuff like that. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, the expectation that it would just kind of improve, I think, uh, kind of did them in in terms of uh, in terms of what they wanted. Um, I, I don't know that they're pressured by the fact that they've got such talented receivers, which you know I, I do think it's like the best receiver duo in the NFC North. I think you know in the NFC in total, you could maybe make the case for you know Tampa Bay's Mike Evans and and Chris Godwin as being better, but then other than that, so uh, you you've got these super talented receivers. Um, I don't know that they they feel as much pressure to use them to use them, but rather they would just like to be uh, flexible. And obviously, there's this been this kind of tiff um, that that people have been talking about frustration in the locker rooms. Stephon Diggs intentionally misses a practice, uh, and so on. And and you you feel like maybe that puts pressure on them, but it really kind of doesn't. It just so happened that Stephon Diggs goes off, you know, the, the game after that, that he expresses his frustration. Um, but that's because he's a super talented player and super talented players just happen to go off at times. So uh, I don't know that the locker room frustrations or anything have forced them to pass the ball more or anything like that. I think it's more that they would just like not to be bottlenecked by a particular type of defense that would take them out in the playoffs. They don't want a matchup to ruin them. So they'd like to be flexible, multi-capable. But I, I don't really think the fact that they invested so much actual money into Adam Thielen and Kirk Cousins and Stephon Diggs is actually kind of pushing the way they designed their offense. Otherwise, they might have even kept Filippo, who threw the ball more than anyone. Mm-hmm. I'd like I'd like to talk a little bit more about Kirk Cousins, and that might be a topic that you're probably sick of discussing. But I'm I'm just curious as to your overall thoughts on his play because obviously it's been highly publicized his play. But when you look at the stats, you know he's top five in passer rating, top ten in you know I mean he's basically top ten in every single stat that you can look at. But if you kind of go based on the national narrative, it seems like people are upset that he's still the quarterback, that he's getting all this guaranteed money. Where, where do you fall on how he's playing so far in, in his second year in Minnesota? This is not too different than 2015 with Washington. I mean, he was like a, a top five passer by basically every passing metric. And everyone was like, yeah, he's not that good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I get it. I, I think that there's something there uh, where um, I don't, I don't like talking about like stat chasing or padding stats or anything like that um, because I, I think it's actually very difficult to do that in football. Like there's not really a Rajon Rondo um, <laughs> where you can <laughs> just like chase, you know, empty stats. But I, right. I think that the statistics that point to efficient play tend to appear in situations where the game kind of doesn't matter. And so when you take a look at high leverage situations, you know, he tends to, I'm not going to say fall apart, but he tends to underperform relative to, you know, what the statistics would indicate about that. And and in particular this year, you know, he's been able to feast on some really bad defenses. Uh, 31st in adjusted net yards per attempt, 28th, 27th, 26th, I think. So he's, he's had like a murderer's row of really soft secondaries to go up against. And when he goes up against a defense that's sixth or seventh, and that's, I think the Packers and, and Chicago respectively, or, you know, vice versa, 
you know, he's crumbled. And I think that that's what people are responding to. Hey, you know, this is an important game and he crumbles. Hey, you know, this is a good defense and he crumbles. And I think some of that is narrative and some of that uh, is factual and it's kind of difficult to kind of separate some of these things. But when you get into situational football, like two-minute drills or even four-minute drills or third and long um, in, in high-leverage situations, he tends to perform much worse than uh, his statistical averages, whereas, you know, he's been able to increase his completion percentage and yards per attempt in those two-minute situations while still losing the game. And so very often, you know, in a two-minute situation, he'll throw to, you know, a receiver open in the middle of the field where there's no defenders near him because the defenders would be very happy if you threw to the receiver in the middle of the field in a two-minute drill and you don't have any timeouts left. Uh, It's like that, uh, where it's a bunch of actually empty yards uh, and I don't think it's because he's chasing these statistics. I think he has the same progression uh, and same response to defenses every single down, every single play without paying attention to the situation of the context. So the coverage says, I throw here, so I'll throw here without really processing that, hey, it's third and 15. There's a minute and 45 seconds left and you need to score a touchdown. It's instead the coverage says, I throw here, so I throw here. So he makes the same throw on first and 10 as he does second and seven as he does third and 15. It's a very complicated, long answer for probably a a more complicated question than, than I intended. I, I I think there's a lot to unpack there and it's very interesting because yeah, I think you look at the Kirk cousin narratives and they're all over the place and there's the whole thing about him, you know, not having confidence to throw into windows and too much uh, hesitation on his part, but it's, but what you brought up kind of, delves into the, the complications there. It's not as simple as something like that, but uh, uh, I think it's probably time we, we move on to the defense a little bit. Ryan, yeah, you got a question on the defense? Um, not in particular. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, I think with their defense, it's just the thing that I think is like consistently the best thing about the Minnesota Vikings. And I think it's, it seems, it seems as though they really haven't skipped a beat. I mean, m- maybe, maybe they're not as formidable and maybe they're not as sexy as the bears were last year, but it seems like it's just consistently the most good thing about that team. Like, is that like a fair assessment Arif? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, 2014, it was a a pretty poor defense. Mike Zimmer takes it over and you take a look at a statistic like DVOA. They improve year over year over year until about 2017 at the top defense in the NFL. 2018, they take a bit of a dip. 2019, they seem like they're a pretty good defense again. You know, the, the analytic evidence suggests that defenses tend to regress. They don't repeat their performances. A top defense is not necessarily going to be the top defense the next year. And we, you know, we see that with like the Ravens, for example. Um, We saw that with the Jaguars in, in 2017, but that isn't true for the Vikings that have just consistently remained a top defense. So I think, you know, that's kind of a curiosity. A lot of it has to do with the fact that they've had more consistency on the defense than I think a lot of defenses have over the years. Uh, and so they've kind of avoided uh, the regression bug as it were. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure Jeremy has plenty of questions about the defense because he's secretly the biggest Minnesota Vikings fan there is. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's just fascinating to me that especially from the Lions' point of view, that they never seem to have figured out this Vikings defense. I don't think they've scored more than 23 points in regulation against the Vikings since Zimmer's been in town. And so I guess my question is simply like, has anything changed or is it just business as usual in terms of personnel, in terms of scheme? Is there anything different about this defense this year? I mean, this, the scheme tends to change fairly gradually. If you take a look at 
uh, schematically what it was in 2014 and schematically what it is now, it looks a lot different. You know, mm-hmm. they use uh, a little bit less in terms of match coverage principles, you know, where, where you've got the man coverage inside a zone. Uh, they've switched between cover three to cover four um, a lot more often. Yeah. So you'll see, you know, two high safeties covering, you know, smaller deep zones. Um, they've stopped, you know, doing a ton of double A gap blitz stuff, but that doesn't mean they've stopped mugging uh gaps you know they've they've instead kind of occupied b gaps or c gaps and so they've kind of they've remained with the same kind of core consistent principles which is to kind of play individual receivers uh within those zones and then also force one-on-one matchups on the offensive line while still kind of maybe rushing four um but the way they've done those uh has changed a lot they play more press coverage now or at least they try to sometimes the the corners kind of audible themselves out of it, but they try to play more press coverage than they've done in the past. But honestly, the the core of the defense, philosophically speaking, kind of remains the same, where they sell out a little bit more against the pass than the run, even though, again, Mike Zimmer talks about stopping the run all the time. The actions on the field seem to indicate that he's very concerned about the pass much more than the run. Uh, and uh, they like one-on-one matchups on the offensive line. There's a, a bunch of different ways they do it. They've changed what the safeties do. It used to be just kind of, you know, either Anderson Day or Harrison Smith is going to drop in the box and kind of screw things up. Now, uh, both Anthony Harrison and Harrison Smith can be deep or both of them can be kind of rolled up to the line of scrimmage. So schematically a lot different, philosophically very, very much the same. All right, we're running up against the end of uh, this first segment, but let's talk injuries really quick. Uh, I was talking to you off off air about just how phenomenal it is for the Vikings to not have a, an exhaustive list already this early in the season. It looks like really the only things to be concerned about are Josh Klein, Riley Reeve, two starters on that offensive line, uh, but they seem to be trending in the in the right direction. Uh, do you expect both of those guys to play this week? Yeah, that, that'll be interesting. I guess I, I'm not... I'm not sure that either of them uh, will end up playing. You know, obviously, you know, this is a, a divisional matchup. They'll want to get them uh, ready to play as soon as possible. But, you know, the injury report uh, is, like you said, it's been it's been trending in the right direction. Uh, Josh Klein is limited as opposed to, you know, last year is out. Uh, Riley Reef moved from, you know, did not participate on Wednesday to limited on Thursday. So that's good news. But I don't know if that's enough to say, for example, that they'll play. Um It'd be really great if they did. I know that kind of the next thing on the on the show notes is to ask kind of how confident are you in the backups? And yeah. despite how well they played last week, the backups, uh, Rashad Hill in particular, but both of them, I think, kind of played above their pay grade. Uh, over the course of time, they have not consistently demonstrated that ability. So uh, it'd be good uh, for the Vikings if, if both of them played. Like you said, uh, you know, Riley Reef's ankle, which, you know, forced him to miss some time. He tried to come back and then he missed more time um, last week. You know that that's going to be something that I expect is more likely to to come back than Josh Klein, even though Josh Klein has practiced a little bit more, just because you know, that foot injury seemed a little bit more serious. But we'll see. All right, great, thanks, Arif. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, as always, we're going to talk some matchups. We're going to talk some predictions, and I'm going to tease maybe a, a new segment. See how it works with Arif. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. 
you can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. All right, we are back with First Bite, our concluding segment on Lions versus Vikings. Week 7, big NFC matchup, second in a row for the Detroit Lions. Both teams are looking for the first NFC North win. Uh, This is going to be a big game for both, obviously. I want to start the second segment with what a new segment, and we'll see see if it works out or not. Um, We obviously kind of get in our own heads here in Detroit. Uh, We get our own perception of what the team is. But we don't really get an opportunity that often to see what other people think of this team and and what you know their perception of the Lions, where they rank maybe in in the NFL and what they do well, what they don't do well. And I think this is a good week to start this segment because Reef, I I always seem to see one tweet of yours per year, or maybe every like two, three, four weeks, where you're just like you're very complimentary of the Lions, and I don't see that a lot on Twitter from people outside <laughs> of Detroit. Even uh, a couple weeks ago, you said the Lions, the best team in the NFC North, and that may have been at least a little bit tongue in cheek. But it seems like you're pretty high on this Lions team pretty consistently over the last couple of years. Uh, I know we're a couple of weeks away uh, after you you put out that tweet, but what what's your overall thoughts on this Lions team, looking from you know a, a Vikings perspective? Yeah, no, when I when I did tweet that out, it was a little tug and cheek. I thought there was like a little bit of truth to, you know, what was behind the tweet. But I thought it was just kind of funny because no one ever thinks of the Lions as, you know, competitors in the NFC North. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think they've got, you know, the horses to be the best team in the mm-hmm. NFC North right now. Obviously, they're at the bottom of the standings uh, through some chicanery. I won't talk about it too much. Um, <laughs> Appreciate but, that. Uh, I think that... You know, they've got an argument for having the best quarterback in the NFC North. Um, So obviously, you know, Stafford's better than Trubisky. That's not particularly close. (laughs) Um, In terms of situational football, obviously, I would trust Stafford a lot more than Cousins based off of, you know, my description of Cousins. Mm -hmm. Stafford, you know, set a record for comebacks a couple of seasons ago. And while we haven't seen that again, you know, we do know that he has the ability to kind of perform in high leverage situations. Um and he's been playing better football than I recall seeing, even in that 41 touchdown season, mm-hmm. um, you know, quite a while ago. I think that the type of football he's playing or the consistency with which he's playing is better than I've ever seen it. Um, and so that, I think, drives a lot of it. 
Uh, when you take a look at the Lions defense, I think it's really underrated. They played four really high level quarterbacks the last, you know, five weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like Aaron Rodgers, Phillip Rivers, uh, Carson Wentz? You know, I don't have a ton of respect for, but he's been playing pretty well. Sure. Uh, and yeah, someone else that's like a really high level quarterback. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty decent, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I believe this was before Mahomes' ankle injury, too. So, yep. uh, you know, the type of football that Mahomes has been playing these last two weeks is not quite the same. Um, and so for the Lions to do as well as they did, I think that the the raw defensive numbers don't tell us the full story just because of the quality of offenses they've played against. Now, obviously the Arizona game was kind of a disaster, but I think the rest of the, the rest of the games uh, have been really good from a defensive perspective. Um, and that secondary is really underrated. Justin Coleman, who was briefly on the Vikings roster, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, has been has been playing really lights out. He's playing, I think, maybe even better than Darius Slay, who's always been playing pretty well. Um, so, you know, you'd like to see more pressure from that front four in terms of the kinds of things they can do in the passing game. You'd like to see, you know, the best nose tackle in in the NFL, you know, get more run stops than he's been getting. Yep. Um, but, you know, and, and the run defense overall has been, I think, a little bit more suspect. But I think the most important thing for a defense is to have good coverage. And I think the Lions have it. Um, so there's a lot there, I think, to respect. Well, let, let's start right there with the coverage, and, and let's go right into the matchups now. Um, you mentioned earlier that that Kirk Cousins has, has struggled kind of disproportionately against good pass defenses. Um, the, the Lions have a pretty good secondary, as you mentioned. They've they've held some pretty good quarterbacks in check. Um, do you think that's a favorable matchup for the Lions this week? Even though we, as we mentioned, the Vikings have a pretty darn good duo of receivers themselves. Yeah, it'll be kind of interesting to see how that turns out. Because you know, when I first kind of noticed this, but particularly about uh, his play this year, it was right before the Eagles game, and the Eagles had kind of the opposite, where they've got this really great extraordinary pass rush and a really poor secondary. Yeah. And the the final numbers turned out to be kind of average for them heading into the game. Um, a lot of it, you know, benefited from, from having, from getting to play Luke Falk's jets. Um, but you know, the, the Vikings kind of diced him apart. And so I think that's a good indication that maybe the pass rush matters a little bit less than the secondary does when it comes to Kirk Cousins. And, you know, the analytics people will say also generally too. Um, and so here you've got kind of the inverse where you've got a pretty good uh, secondary, um, kind of a confusing coverage, not like, you know, crazy confusing, but you don't see a ton of teams drop eight like the Lions do all the time. Right. Uh, and so, you know, like I said, Cousins is kind of a textbook quarterback. And so if it's not, you know, in the book, you know, maybe he doesn't know what to do. Uh, in terms of the individual matchups, you know, I I think the world of Thielen and Dix, and so I, I do think that they'll win those individual matchups more often than not. I think, mm-hmm. despite kind of the the praise I've had for Darius Slay and, and Justin Coleman, um, you know, I, I think that especially you know when when Thielen's got Coleman in the slot or something, um, I think that they'll win those matchups. They're just so talented, uh, and uh, and it, and it takes someone like a Jalen Ramsey or Patrick Peterson or something like that to to really kind of take him out of the game. Even um, Jair Alexander, uh, you know, he had a pretty good game, but I think, you know, on the All-22, you know, Thielen and Diggs do get open against him a little bit more often than you'd expect. So uh, it's really about Cousins' ability to kind of close on what are going to end up being tighter windows. He's taken a lot less in, uh, aggressive throws as kind of identified by next-gen stats where they look at how tight the windows are. Um, he's done a lot less of that this year, but a lot of it just has to do with the fact that Thielen and Diggs have been just like, obscenely open which they won't <laughs> be this year the, in in this game they'll be probably open 
Um, and so he'll have to make those tight window throws. So it's really about Cousins' comfort with those throws where he hasn't had to make those throws in a while. So we'll see. I'm not super optimistic about it. I think the Vikings uh, in some books opened as pickums. Some books opened as one-point favorites. I think that's all been bet down to one-and-a-half-point favorites. So there's a reason this game is close, despite the fact that the Vikings' numbers uh, so far this year have been pretty extraordinary. And I think some of it has to do with that matchup. Yeah, and I think the biggest matchup of all, though, is is one that we've already kind of touched on a little bit, but I think we could even discuss it a little bit further. But it's it's Dalvin Cook, and it's Dalvin Cook against the Lions' run defense, which you have already mentioned, Arif, is is not really performing up to snuff. It, it's it's not the unit that it was last year, especially after the Lions traded a fifth-round pick uh, to get Snacks Harrison. And I think if, if you're looking at this game and you're wondering, well, which matchup – are the Vikings going to most likely try to exploit? And I think it's run the football. And I think it's something that they can do when they come to Ford Field. And I think it's something that will really put a wrench into whatever it is the Lions are planning on doing, both uh, offensively and defensively. You talk about how the Lions really like to, you know, uh, rush three, drop eight, and that could potentially cause problems for Kirk Cousins. Well, one of those ways that you combat that is maybe, hello, halfback draw. Hello, Dalvin Cook gashing you for five or six yards of carry. And, and, and that'll that'll have the Lions, I think, up, up in arms pretty quickly. Do you do you foresee like a heavy dose of Dalvin Cook? Because there have been a couple games where you, you mentioned maybe the Bears game, the, the ground game wasn't going. I think he only had 14 carries against Philadelphia. It was a game that they had in hand, but only had 14 carries. Do you think this could be like a 25, 26 yard or 26, 27 carries for Dalvin Cook type of game? Yeah, I think they'll go into this game planning to run the ball a little bit more than they usually do, which, again, says a lot because they're a pretty run-heavy team. Uh, I think Dalvin Cook in particular. Um, man, those linebackers are not great. Well, it depends on who you're talking to because apparently, I mean, if, 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 you're, a, if you're a senior bowl, <laughs> you really think that Jared Davis is one of the best linebackers in football. Um, and he's no seen comment. the tape. So yeah, it was, it was, it was quite the, it was quite the tweet, but uh, based, based off of what I've seen, I, I've not been particularly impressed. I mean, they're better in run defense than they are in coverage, but they're not particularly great neither. Um, and so I, I would, I would expect them to, to run the ball a little bit more. Now, again, they, they like to respond to the flow of the game. They like to run the ball when they're ahead, throw the ball when they're behind. Um, but even when they're behind, like against the Packers, for example, they were down 21-0 in the second quarter, and they were still willing to kind of run the ball. Part of it's because they were getting 7.7 yards a carry. Um, but part of it's just, you know, that's kind of how, how Zimmer's wired and how he wants his offensive coordinators to call plays. So I do think that they will run the ball a lot more than they did against the Bears and a lot more than they did against the Eagles, especially with Dalvin Cook, who uh, I think his skill set in particular would cause fits for uh, both Tavai and Davis, just because, you know, he, he's a shifty, quicker guy. Um, so I, I, I really do think that they'll try to get him the ball in a bunch of different ways. I wouldn't be surprised if it comes through screens, if it comes through checkdowns, you know, with you know, him running angle routes through the, the linebacker zone, or if it is just to kind of run the ball and, and try to beat, um, you know, those linebackers to the point of attack. So, yeah, I, I do expect more of a Dalvin Cook kind of game than other games where, you know, the Vikings might have an even matchup or might be favored. Uh, because, again, the Eagles, I mean, that's a that's a pretty poor secondary. It's banged up. Um, that was kind of an easy situation to attack, whereas with the Lions, I think here it's it's the linebackers and the, and the suspect run defense that is going to be the focus. 
That makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's move over to when the Lions have the ball. Um, as I mentioned before, they've notoriously had not quite a lot of success against this Vikings defense. And, and as we mentioned, the, the changes they've made has been gradual, if anything. Um, but one thing that seems to be kind of curious this year is is the play of the, the corners, which hasn't been up to snuff, I would say. Um, Xavier Rhodes' stats aren't too impressive for a Xavier Rhodes kind of season. Um, I've, I've personally never been a fan of Trey Waynes, but that might have to do with my Michigan bias. Um, uh, what What's your kind of outlook on the Vikings' uh, corners this year and, and how they match up against uh, a pretty good set of receiving options in, in Detroit? Yeah, um, I, I would say that that Rhodes has been playing better than advertised this year. Okay, um, you know people will, you know, throw darts at him for games where he gives up like three receptions, and you know <laughs> one of those receptions is like a thirty-five yard touchdown. It's not nothing, but like three receptions, that's not bad. Like right. it's not you know where he was in twenty seventeen, but it's not bad. Um, and you know, the games where he's given up the most yardage, I think, you know, for example, PFF, I think was incorrect to assign him, you know, the 39 yard, uh, pass to Devonte Adams and the 14 yard pass to Evan Ingram. Uh, and so you, you take a look at those and you say, well, you know, Hey, some of these statistics, you know, maybe they don't bear out. And then you take a look at, you know, something else like sport radar, you know, they've got, you know, chip tracking and they try to identify coverages and, you know, they don't have roads giving up those yardage. Uh, so, um, I would say, you know, he's not playing up to his contract. His contract kind of requires him to play at a near elite level, and he's not doing that because, uh, you know, you give up one big play every two games, you know, that's the cornerback position. You're not elite. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, he's not playing up to that, but I do think that he's playing above average. Um, I don't think they'll shadow him. They haven't shouted him for the past couple of weeks. Um, and so, you know, they kind of like the right side, left side stuff, which they did a lot in 2014, a little bit in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, how he matches up against Kenny Galladay, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, Galladay is certainly faster than Rhodes is. Rhodes is no longer the four four two guy he was coming out of the draft. Um, but I, I think that from a, a technique versus technique perspective, Rhodes has an advantage. I think Galladay is physically just kind of just a better player. And so kind of what the push-pull there is is going to matter a lot. I think, you know, uh, Stafford's ability to put the ball in kind of unique situations for his receivers that, you know, uh, cornerbacks don't have access to. That's going to be pretty important. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Trey Waynes. Um, yeah, I've never been a huge fan of Trey Waynes either, um, but he's been playing really well these past two years. Uh, and uh, for him, the issue is is a lot less about, you know, placing himself in the right spot in coverage and more kind of how to play the receiver once the ball arrives, whether or not it's turning his head around or getting his hands inside the hands of, of, of opposing receivers. And so he'll create these tight windows, which is very valuable in itself, but he won't kind of do much beyond that. Um, plus, statistically, he's been helped out a lot, too. Uh, he's been helped out by, you know, a Sterling Shepard drop, a Zach Ertz drop. He's been helped out by Elshon Jeffrey just deciding to step out of bounds three yards downfield instead of housing it. Uh, and so, uh, you know, statistically, you know, Waynes looks a lot better than Rhodes. But when you kind of account for some of these individual differences in terms of who gets assigned what, I think Rhodes statistically does look better than Waynes after you kind of adjust it for, you know, and maybe it's my perceived biases, who knows. Um, But they're both playing at kind of this above average level where I think Waynes is kind of getting a little overrated and Rhodes is getting a little underrated. And I think Rhodes is certainly the best corner on the team. 
but um, neither of them, I think, are living up to the expectations that the rest of the defense is setting because that rest of the defense is playing just out of their minds. Right. Uh, and so for Rhodes and Waynes to, relatively speaking, kind of struggle, it's very easy to kind of point fingers at them. And then you've got Mike Hughes and Mackenzie Alexander who are both playing like fantastically, and so that raises questions too. Right. Hmm. Dude, okay, I, I think I feel like we've gotten to the part of the show where we've avoided this topic as long as possible, but we have to talk about it because it's the Lions versus Vikings matchup. But <laughs> is is there any chance that the Lions can stop this pass rush? Because they haven't been able to do it in the past. Matthew Stafford <laughs> has gotten beaten the hell up in this rivalry like crazy. Yeah, tell, I, tell me there's something that's going to stop him this week. That, that Everson Griffin is just like tired or something. It, well, it's fascinating because last year Everson was having just an awful season, uh, but he turns up for one game and it's the Lions game. Uh, and, you know, it seems to have a pretty good day. <laughs> yeah. Um, this this year, Griffin is playing almost as well, if not better than he did in 2017, which was the year um, the first half of the season where he was getting at least he was getting one sack a game plus more, right? So he's averaging more than a sack a game, 1.3. And he was in the defensive player of the year conversation before he kind of hurt his foot. Um, Now he's playing at a really high level. He's not getting the sacks, but that's because quarterbacks are throwing quicker than they ever have been against the Vikings. And and part of that's, you know, you you play Derek Carr, he just gets rid of the ball quickly. Uh, Chase Daniel just gets rid of the ball quickly. And so they've been able to beat these offensive tackles, but they haven't been able to turn those into pressures or sacks um, as much as they should be able to. They still both have really good pressure numbers. I think they're both in the top 10 at their position. Um, So, you know, Stafford's been holding on the ball slightly longer this year than he has the past four years. He's always been getting rid of the ball a little bit quicker than average. Um, despite the fact that he likes to kind of throw it downfield, he's throwing it downfield a lot more this year. And I think that might be the reason, but that fact might be, a problem uh, with regards to uh, how Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin are playing because they're both playing the best football of their career. And, you know, I mean, football is weird. They might just end up with like zero sacks in this game. And that's just kind of how it goes. But I, I would say you're probably set up for at least a three sack, maybe, maybe not 10, <laughs> which happened twice, I think. Um, but like 10 and seven in the, in this rivalry in the past couple of years, it's yeah, it's brutal. Um, it's- and that and you were not giving you were you were not giving me the answer that I was hoping for. Not not that I expected anything else. I was just hoping they're playing so well. I, I just <laughs> it's not setting up for that. Plus, I, you know, Ricky Wagner's not playing the level he should be. So no, he certainly isn't. All right, uh, let's get onto the prediction portion. Uh, we call it the one thing I think I know. Um, where you just kind of give any prediction doesn't necessarily have to be a score prediction. Um, just something you think is going to happen on Sunday. Uh, while you think about it, Arif, I'm going to throw it to Ryan. What's the one thing you think you know about this Lions Vikings matchup on Sunday? Damn it. We've made it almost 40 minutes through this podcast, but I'm going to have to do it anyways. The one thing I think I know is that the Lions are going to have less penalties than the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> Looking at their stats from this season, Minnesota, Minnesota's, Minnesota's pretty up there in terms of total flags. Right now, um, they through six games, they have 61 total flags against them. Uh, 21 at home, but 27 on the road. Mm. All right. Um, they're averaging about 10.1 flags per game. The Lions, on the other hand, are averaging about 10.4 pl- flags per game. Um, but they've only been penalized uh, 16 times at home. Uh, so of those 52 flags, um, quite a few of them are coming on the road. So... 
I think at home, the Lions are going to be less penalized after. Man, after what? Monday sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Did something happen? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so my you're, favorite, my you're saying they're dudes? They're they're they've they're built two. up good goodwill. Uh, well, I mean that's that's historically that's borne out for the Lions. I think that's fair. <laughs> well, <laughs> so you're saying Rod Wood has this much pull in his conversations with the league that he's gonna get calls in his favor. This I'm never gonna. I'm never gonna give Rod Wood credit for anything. Yeah, I was that, gonna say that's giving him way too much credit. <laughs> I will give him zero credit for anything. I will give the backlash that that occurred on on social media and the fact that. The NFL had to come out, and Troy was it Troy Vincent had to say, yeah. "Yep, they 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 blew that second call for sure." I think that there might be a little a little home cooking, um, and, and I just think that Minnesota is going to be flagged more times than Detroit. Um, and also, there, I mean, I feel like that's kind of a safe bet to make as well, just because I think Ford Field will be loud, um, and I think that there's the opportunity for false start penalties and things like that. I'm just trying to talk myself into into this becoming a, a, a reality because like I said, Monday sucked and <laughs> all right. Man. I should have cut you off long ago. Thank you. But yeah, we, we haven't had you on the podcast for a while, so we needed I, you. I, I needed the pull. I needed. The pull. <laughs> all right. Arif, what's the one thing you think, you know, about Sunday's game? Uh, I, <laughs> this is tough. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> No, no, no. This is this is oh. this is gonna be a, a, a positive for Detroit. I think I one thing I think I know is that uh, Cousins will will uh, will fumble the ball and Trey Flowers will probably pick it up. And if it's not Trey Flowers, <laughs> it'll be Justin Coleman <laughs> in, in a revenge game, as it were. Uh, he's among the league leaders in fumbles. The Vikings uh, are you know, and fumble luck is a thing, right? So maybe that's not sure. like real, but. Um, the Vikings are seem to be pretty poor at recovering fumbles, especially when they occur behind the line of scrimmage. Um, I know Ashawn Robinson has recovered one or two fumbles this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just feels like you know it's going to be one of those games where you know divisional game. He seems to fumble a little bit more. Maybe that's not a real thing. Um, but man, I am totally positive he's going to fumble. <laughs> I, and I think the Lions are among the league leaders in, in forced fumbles, and they've already eclipsed the number that they had last year. And like you said, I think fumble luck plays a, a big part in that. But it, it is something that to keep an eye on, I think, for this matchup. Um, but now that we've had two semi-positive things about this matchup, let me get to the one thing I think I know, and it's not good. I think this is a horrible matchup for the Lions. I think they lose this game definitively. I think it's going to be ugly. And the one thing I think I know is that people are going to blame it on the hangover game. They're going to create this narrative that the, the Lions weren't focused, that they were still focused on on being hated on the refs uh, on Monday night, and none of that matters. None of that is actually true. I think it's just a bad matchup for the Lions this week, and they've struggled with this Vikings team forever. And so, yeah, the one thing I think I know is that the Lions lose and people are going to attribute something that wasn't actually the reason why they lost. But Sorry. Jeremy, I don't know why you would say that when Matt Patricia came out and said, I just want the fans to know that we're going to work to get things right, to do things the right way. We're tough. We're built tough. We're blue collar, just like the city and just like the state. We'll continue to be tough. In the <laughs> end, right. toughness is going to prevail. Okay. <laughs> we have run way too long, We, but I want to give Arif uh, the last word here. Uh, where can people find your stuff, Arif? What kind of stuff can they expect out of you this week uh, that, that Lions fans might be interested in? Uh, yeah, you can find me at Arif Hassan NFL um on twitter 
Uh, that's really the only social media I have. That's A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N NFL. You can find me on The Athletic at theathletic.com slash author slash Arif Dash Hassan. Uh, that's where all my stuff is. You could, I guess you could find my podcasts, Football Machine, Norse Code. Uh, sometimes I do the Straight Cash podcast at The Athletic too. Uh, type my name into stuff if you really want to find it. I, there's not a ton of people with my name, so you'll find well, it. Plug the Wide Left podcast. Do it. Do I it. I, haven't, I haven't recorded in like a month, but yeah, if you want my crazy political takes that are going to get me in jail at some point, uh, <laughs> you can follow the Wide Left podcast, which I think is at Wide Left Podcast, and also one of like the two Wide Left podcasts on uh, on the iTunes search engine. There you go. There you go. Arif, appreciate you joining us. Ryan, I appreciate you joining us. And I forgot to plug your Twitter, Ryan underscore POD. I think I got yes. that right. Where, okay. you, where, where you can find gradient photos of my dog and myself being uh, likened to Sharon Stone. <laughs> and who, who doesn't want that? Doesn't. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody. As a reminder, uh, Pride of Detroit's podcast, our normal podcast. We record it live now on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit. 8 p.m. We're going back to 8 p.m. on Sundays. Now that the game is on Sundays again, we'll be live again talking about Lions Vikings. Be sure to go over there. Give us a follow so you get notifications, all that sort of stuff. And you'll still be able to get the podcast on all the things that you're currently listening to this podcast on. So appreciate you all joining us. You guys have a great weekend. Hopefully we'll have a good Sunday game to talk about. 8 p.m. Twitch.tv slash Pride Detroit. Love you all.